I invite you to turn your Bibles to Peter's second letter, Second Peter, that farewell letter of the Apostle. It's on page 1018 of the Pew Bibles there, if you didn't bring your closest companion of the Scriptures uh, with you. You know, honestly, I, I was hit upside the head again this last week, not with a book or a hand or a stick or anything like that, but I was hit with the realization that so often I will approach this time on Sunday morning and even this time under the preached word with little expectancy. Little expectancy that, that, there, that I'll actually be changed or that I will leave different than I am now. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in this. In fact, I would guess that for many of us, we really don't expect that we will see change or that life is going to be all that much different you know, when we leave here, we, we know coming to church is a good idea. We, we come because we know it's important. Um, we're told that we need to. But we're really not all that convinced that we need it. Often unmoved, perhaps, by what it is we hear and see. And I don't think it's because you know, of the repetition or familiarity of what's happening, but we mistake or easily forget where the real power for change is coming from. That power, the, the ability to really inform and change the way we think uh, and live. You know, it's certainly not coming from me, not from words that I'm going to put together this morning. Um, you know, so if you come expecting, you know, maybe Brad will give a one-liner, an illustration that's going to really change my heart and life, you may be very disappointed. And it's just one of the reasons, I have to be honest here, it's one of the reasons, well, one of the underlying reasons why so many folks will not commit to a local church. And they'll hop from one church to the next in a marketplace of churches because we've forgotten where the real power for change lies. The power to live the way we've been made to live. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. you. You need to hear this from your pastor. Um, if I could find joy and satisfaction in the gifts that God has given me or thought I could use them in a way that would bring Him glory in another profession, I would not be up here preaching to y'all. But like Paul, there's a necessity that's laid upon me. Oh, if I do not preach the Gospel. And to be honest with you, that's a little, nerve, that's a little unnerving to me. And as you ponder this, maybe a little unnerving to you because there is a power that is at work here, not from you or from me, um, but from the Lord. Um, it's not going to be what I say, but in what has already been said uh, in God's Word to us. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. That's the expectation, the very power of the Holy Spirit speaking through His Word. That's what's going to change our lives. And not just when you leave this morning, but in fact, in these very moments, it's happening. So really be honest with yourself. Is that what you expect when you crawl out of bed on Sunday morning? Which was a little harder this morning, I get that. You make your way here for worship. We can expect that. We should expect that. And Peter reminds us this morning, it's the very power of God that has given us life, enables us to live in a way that shows that we belong to the Lord Jesus. So Peter opens this letter. He identifies himself. He offers a prayer 
that the church would grow in the grace and uh, peace of the Lord Jesus. And you say, well, how is this going to happen? Where does that power uh, really come from? So here's what he says, still with the triune God uh, as the subject, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our great and mighty God, You who have created the heavens and the earth, infinite, eternal, transcendent, above all that we could possibly imagine, and yet You are so very imminent. You are near, so very close to us in these moments. Lord, You are near in the very presence of Your Word to us and even nearer in the presence of Your Spirit within us, showing us, teaching us how to understand and apply this Word. Lord, forgive us where we have not come all that expectant that You will say anything of value to us. Lord, show us how to listen Renew us, work this word into our hearts. We might truly know and delight in you all the more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter was a changed man. You remember, he ran to the tomb where Jesus was laid. He and John raced to the tomb and they found it empty. Could this really be happening? Jesus had said on more than one occasion that the tomb would be empty. And then... Jesus appears to His disciples behind locked doors and He says, Peace to you. As the Father has sent Me, so I am sending you. Now the disciples certainly don't know everything there is to know yet. They have much to learn about Jesus and what He has called them to. And Jesus has some words yet for Simon down by the the sea where they like to go fishing. He said, Simon, son of John, do you really love Me? Do you really love me? That stings, doesn't it? It broke Peter's heart. Just as our hearts are rightly broken um, over our sin, the failure to uphold the name of Christ. But Jesus speaks so tenderly and compassionately to this sort of in-your-face, outspoken disciple, at the moment, very fragile man. Tend. Feed my sheep. Jesus is 
sending Peter, certainly not in the apostles' own strength or his own abilities, but in a strength that is outside himself. And a short time later, Peter and the disciples are gathered, and right before Jesus disappears from their midst, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And who is the first person to preach when the Holy Spirit is poured out on this group? It's Peter, this fisherman from from Galilee, addressing the crowd because he can do nothing less. Spirit is with him, the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That is working, changing Peter, enabling him to uh, speak this way on the truth that is Christ. And so that same... Power that Peter knew so well, the power to speak, power to, to change and form disciples into the likeness of Jesus, that is at work in the church, in you, in me, in us together. God's divine power has given us all things for life with Him, a life that looks more and more like Him every day. It's His power, His provision for us. And maybe you saw as we read through those verses, verses 3 and 4 is one long sentence, so we've translated it in the English, but it's pretty close in the original. Um, One long sentence of God's unchanging grace. What He has done for His people and our relationship to Him. And it's only in that truth, in that grace, that enables us to do what Peter calls in verses 5-10. through 10. So Much like the Ten Commandments. Like we read this morning, a portion of those. You shall not steal. We cannot separate the you shall not steal, you shall honor your father and mother, you shall not commit adultery. We cannot separate that from I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is, it is God's power His deliverance, His grace and love that enables us to do what we now want to do as God's people. We want to worship Him. We want to to love Him. We want to know Him more. And Peter helps us with what this looks like in verses 5-10. through But it really is a lifeless, honestly, a very heavy weight apart from God's provision and His grace in verses 3-4. and So let's take a moment with the provision of God Uh, before the pursuit of godliness. Certainly not within us. Not for us to somehow conjure up, uh, but God's divine power that gives us what we need for a life of obedience. We have the first word pairing there, life and godliness. The apostle will do this over and over again. There's no expectation of one without the other. And this eternal life, this life we've been given, not just out there, not some end state, But it's a transformation that's happening now among us. We're being perfected in godliness. So even though our bodies are wasting away, spiritually things are are getting better every day. Renewed uh, day by day. But how has God granted this life? Through the knowledge of Him who called us. We were wrapping up small group uh, just the other week and it was time to go. It was dark outside. The kids were outside and so... Micah took the shofar off of their shelf. Now a shofar is a ram's horn uh, that we often read of in the Old Testament. When they blew the horn, they would have blown a, a shofar type of instrument. And so we were at the Schmidt's house, and, and Mike, even though the kids were in the front yard, he went out to the back, not knowing where they were, and blew this horn as loud as he could uh, for the neighborhood. And, uh, 
But when, when Micah is blowing this shofar, he is calling the children. But he's not extending this sort of general invitation, hey, I hear this horn, I wonder what we should do. Um, he is summoning them. It's time. The decision has already been made. And so those who are called of God, they're not receiving this general invitation. They are those chosen and saved by God. And Paul expounds on this, on the certainty of this, uh, of this call in Romans 8. But we're called by the glory and the goodness of God. There's another pairing. And in, in Greek literature, they would use this, this term that we have here for excellence, something that uh, describes goodness and moral virtue. So Peter uses something that would have been familiar. Paul does the same thing in Acts chapter 17. Greek references that the, a more Greek audience would know. But all that this word, all that excellence entails is true to the nth degree of the Lord. It's His beauty, His goodness, all of His divine actions that draw and attract those whom He calls. And He does this all through the knowledge of Himself. I was moving some plastic bins around in our, we call it our fallout shelter underneath the house. And I stumbled upon what I was hoping would be my retirement plan um, in, a, in a bin of baseball cards. Um, they're, yeah, it's not going to work so well. But I was flipping through some of these cars and I recognized a lot of these players. And I, I remember having known their statistics. You know, height, weight, batting average, on-base percentage, hits, steals, things like that. Um, and so I knew, you know, some of these players. Well, this last week I was talking with, with Tim McLeod and I, I knew he loved America's pastime as well. I said, have you ever met any of these professional players? He says, oh yeah. I have a second cousin who's Mickey Stanley. Now, most of us have no idea who Mickey Stanley is, but he was the center fielder and played some infield for the 1968 World Championship Tigers. Okay, World Championship and Tigers, I know, don't go together very often. Um, but, but Mickey Stanley's a second cousin. Tim, Tim's had a chance to talk with him and knows where he grew up and how he began to play the game. Okay, that, that is a big difference in knowing Okay, if I can look at a card of Mickey Stanley, I wish I had one. Um, I can say, I, I know this player. But for Tim, who's actually met him, there, there is a, a deeper, more personal knowledge. It's, it's this kind of knowledge that Peter's addressing. He continues to mention, we see it again in verse 5, verse 8. It's a knowledge that the false teachers have ignored or forgotten in, uh, later in 2 verse 20. Knowledge of God is knowing God. Um, knowing the Lord Jesus, is that a priority in your life? And not just knowing more about God. Okay? The devil, the demons who do His work, we read in the New Testament, they know all kinds of things about Jesus, but they do not know Him this way. Okay, even think about our time in worship or this time under the preached Word. Have you come primarily to learn things about the Bible? I pray that you do. I think we will together. But that's not the main reason we've gathered. We want to know our Savior more. To have our hearts just enraptured by His love. There's a chorus. Maybe you remember this chorus by Graham Kendrick. 
Knowing You, Jesus, knowing You, there is no greater thing. You're my all, You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love You, Lord. Knowing Jesus, knowing Him, and I love You, Jesus, those are saying much the same thing for the Christian. Our desire is for Him. To know Him more. To be like Him with the days that He's given to us. Uh, you know, the more days that the Lord gives us, the more we tend to think, or probably should think more than we do, about our last day. When we'll be absent from the body. And present with the Lord. You know, we pray with the Apostle Paul that Jesus would be honored in our living and in our dying. So we're living in this body and we're dying at the same time. And in the gospel of this age, it tells us you fight that at all costs. Um, you know, if you think about it at all, which is discouraged, but then, then there's some, some place you can go, something you can buy, something you can do to somehow slow or prevent this dying process, or at least be as comfortable and happy as you can in the few days you have left. Brothers and sisters, the brief time that's left is here now. You may be two-year-old, 52 years old, 92 years old. It is a brief time in light of eternity. So if we are living in the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and grace, what does dying well look like? Is it, is it getting everything in that you've wanted to? Um, you know, Get everything on that, on that bucket list as possible. Maybe growing the nest egg, getting an inheritance to pass along to somebody. Um, now practically, they may happen in God's kindness, but is that really dying well? So spend some time with that question. If in the knowledge of God and of Christ, we believe that the best days are yet to come, that our greatest joy and satisfaction is with Jesus in heavenly splendor, that will reorient, maybe perhaps change the focus of our living and dying right now. We could sit with Paul's words in Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So God's grace abounds in this long sentence. But He grants again in verse 4. Do you see that? Second time where He grants. He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So these promises are invaluable. Nothing we could ever, could ever have would compare to uh, the promises that God has made to His people. Do you remember them? Do you recall them? Here are just a few. God promises that He will never change. That His love and goodness and, and compassion will always be. He promises to be with you at all times and in all places. He promises to provide what you need the most. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. All in His fatherly wisdom. 
He promises to protect and fight for His people. He promises to hear our prayers. And He promises to forgive all who come to Him in faith. He promises an eternal inheritance. That's just a short summary. There can be nothing so precious as God's promises to you, to me. A true knowledge of Him always will have a firm belief in His promises. I just think of you know, hanging by that safety rope on the edge of a, of a mountain. You know, it's the one thing that will, will hold us, bring us to safety. So we, we hold fast, we cling to the promises of our God. And, then, and even that finishing well, you know, dying well, like I mentioned a second ago, that's delighting in these promises. Holding them close, sharing them and all of their value to those that we know and care about. So it's through these promises that we become partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't mean we become gods. We are becoming more like our God. We're participating, sharing in this moral excellence that we see in Jesus. And so this is a process of partaking that will only be complete at Christ's return. So we've already escaped the world's corruption, the coming judgment, our lives are now hidden with a resurrected Christ. But the full realization of this comes only at the resurrection that awaits us. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Clothed then in the blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Church family, all that we've seen so far, everything I've said, all that Peter has shared is God's sovereign grace. His divine power. Provision for the church. So it's in response to that that we pursue a life of godliness. And Peter lays out these chain of virtues in verses 5-7. through seven. These are virtues that are all building on each other. They're all growing up together, being cultivated together. Um, some of you will take a, a plate and go through the food line. Maybe you did that this morning over breakfast, which was really good. Um, and, and you make sure that all the items are separate. Okay? No food touching each other. No mixing of flavors. So we're, we're bordering unbiblical here because the, along with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, all these qualities are mixed together. They're growing, increasing together. So Peter starts with faith, which makes good sense, right? Trust and obedience Clinging to His promises, that's the root of all these other virtues. And notice how He ends. He ends with love in verse 7. Faith, faith is the root here. Love is, is the fruit, the ultimate goal of these virtues. To faith is added this moral life, uprightness. We are to be people of honesty, people of integrity. We do the right thing because, well, not because just someone is watching, we do the right thing because we're children of the King. Knowledge. We've talked about some already. Knowing our Savior, a personal delight in knowing His will and His ways for us. Along with the self-control. Being able to say no to ungodly passions, Paul says to Titus. You know, are we those who exercise restraint when it's much easier to say yes? And it's saying no to sin, certainly. But if we're clinging to the promises of God, 
and the best is yet to come with Jesus, do we have to say yes to all the good things right now? And this, this moral restraint, it's, it's closely linked with endurance, with steadfastness. I think of Hebrews 12, and the endurance, staying on course, that when we do sin, when we do slip and fall, we confess, we, we get up again and stay the course that's been laid out for us. And godliness a willingness to, to suffer and serve as our Savior has done before us. Think of how Peter just hones in on this suffering, sharing in the suffering of Christ, particularly in his first letter. A godliness we've, we've been given and a godliness we are to pursue. And then he ends with a love and devotion that we show to Christ, that we show to one another. Remember the care that Jesus gave to Peter you know, after he had betrayed him, turned his back on him. I mean, here's Jesus who still gathers Peter, has a meal with him, speaks tenderly to him. I think of um, you know, John 13, another one of Jesus' disciples relays what Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is where Peter ends this chain of virtues. But we cannot love God and others if these other qualities are absent. If they are, then we become unfruitful. We become ineffective as children of God. That doesn't mean that we are lost. Okay, there may be some knowledge of Jesus that remains, but if our faith is not working, I read, I read this this last week, faith is, true faith is a faith that sweats. Okay? If your faith is not sweating, and you're not growing, then Peter says you've forgotten what God has done. You've forgotten verses 3 and 4. And he compares this to a blindness. I think the best way I can, I can demonstrate this is by taking my glasses off. I can still see that there are all people out there, but even, even to see Melissa's face or Allison's, I have, to, I have to squint. So I have to willfully close my eyes. There's no better way not to see than to close your eyes. So I'm on my way to blindness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he shared a picture. I don't know if he's a golfer or not, but he says you're out on the golf course and you see someone on the fairway and they're, they're hitting balls up the fairway and down the fairway and to the left and to the right. Sounds like me if I'm on the golf course. Um, and you, you approach this person and say, have you ever thought about hitting that ball towards the hole and getting it in the hole? Oh, are you kidding? I'm just out here to enjoy the weather. I just pick whatever club looks good. I like to play around in these sand traps. It might sound relaxing to a certain degree. But you'd say, you, you've forgotten the whole point. right? You've missed the goal of this game. Okay? We are not pursuing godliness. We, we are blind, forgetting what is true of us in, in relationship to Christ. So we, we may just be stumbling around, walking, walking around uh, in this life. The whole purpose behind a knowledge of Him is to know Him more. To grow in His likeness, becoming image bearers that God has made us to be. And that's only possible if there is forgiveness of sins. Let's not forget that. We forget that we've been baptized into Christ. That's when our faith becomes useless. And we're idle. We live as the unbeliever lives. His brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent 
to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these virtues, you will never fall. So the make every effort in verse 5 is echoed in all the more diligent of verse 10. There's a pursuit, an urgency of living in these last days, which he talks about in chapter 3. We're not the ones securing our calling. This is the grace of God. But we are proving that call. We're giving guarantee to it. Paul says in Ephesians 4, walk worthy of your calling. So this calling and election sounds like another word pair. The calling and election. Some like to just squash the two together. This is the elective call of God. His grace alone has saved you. Now confirm that calling. Show the magnitude of His grace in your life by exercising these virtues. So if we're going to grow, God God has to do this work. A growth in godliness, God has to do. Um, But He always supplies what He demands of us. So there's there's not a passivity here, an apathy. This moves us. I think those who really treasure God's forgiveness, who hold fast to His promises, they want to live in a way that pleases Him. Here's the effect of that. If you and I are practicing these virtues, if they are increasing in our lives, then that will give us a much greater assurance of God's love and care for us. An assurance of our very salvation. And I recognize that, you know, like faith, which can wax and wane, our assurance can do the same thing. We can maybe struggle with an assurance that God really cares about us in these moments or really loves us. But remember, that is, it is obedience that's the foundation for assurance. So if you feel like you're distant from God, if you feel you know, your, your faith just doesn't seem to be growing, or you have little desire for uh, spiritual conversation or meditation, okay? ask yourself. This may not be the end question, but ask yourself, am I walking in obedience to the Lord? Am I doing what He says is best for me? What He says that I need, and He graciously provides uh, for my joy. So it's not a salvation by works, but it is a salvation with works. A work that God is doing in you, in me, um, to, to accomplish this. His provision compels our pursuit. And by living in obedience, we gain a rich, rich welcome uh, into the eternal kingdom. You know, it could be very different. It could be by the skin of our teeth, as if escaping from the flames. There are many who enter the kingdom that way. But it could be, it could be with rich pomp and celebration. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enter into the joy of your master. Know me perfectly. Okay, so something, something remarkable has happened over the last 25 to 30 minutes. Um, I've said a lot of things, but I have said nothing. Um, we just sat under the authority and power of thus saith the Lord. Um, that'll change you. You will not leave here the same because of it. The power that changed Peter's life enabled him to write the words of this letter 
for us. It's, it's the only power unto life and godliness in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So let's, let's trust Him. Let's expect Him uh, to do great things with it uh, in us today. Let's pray. Father, we do praise You for this Word. And as we trust You, Lord, to work its truth into our hearts and our minds, we know that it will change us. For You are working Your Word to accomplish it. And yet, Lord, we cannot begin to comprehend your thoughts and your ways, the sum of your love for us, but you have poured out your grace upon us in the Lord Jesus. And you have given us such great and precious promises, promises that we cling to in this very moment and as we go from this place. Promise that you have delivered, that you are continuing the good work that you have begun in us, that you are drawing us to yourself on that great day. Lord, if today is that day, may we die well. Fill us with your grace. We might share in the sufferings of Christ and also share in his glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.